Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. All right, welcome to the show. This is episode number 52 of Grow Bud Yourself. We have a great one for you guys today. Our special guest is expert hash maker Frenchie Cannoli. Uh, we've got a ton of cultivation information as well, including what can you yield from one pot plant, as well as answers to your grow questions. So stick around. Episode 52 brought to you by Excelsior Extracts, Sweet Leaf Nutrients. Diamond Cutco Trimming Scissors, and Rocket Seeds. Coming at ya. Hey, you guys. I really want to thank our sponsors from Excelsior Extracts. These are great friends of the show, uh, great friends of mine for many years, incredible growers, incredible people. And they have made some incredible products as well, including their THC-infused pain rub. And you know it works because you're talking about people who are real, true cannabis medical patients that are making this. Just want to shout out Outcast and, and uh, TOH. Check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. That's E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R. E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S, Excelsior Extracts. DM them if you're interested in trying out that pain relief rub. Tell them Grow Bud Yourself sent you. And uh, yeah, man, thank you to uh, T and O from Excelsior for sponsoring the show and being just such great friends and supporters. All right, we are back, and it is episode 52 of Grow By Yourself. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. Uh, I don't know. Do we, have a, do we have a reference for 52? 52 weeks is a year. Yeah. Well, that means we've also been doing the show for a year. That's true. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Wow. We missed our own one-year anniversary. Why didn't any of you remind us? Yes. Come on, listeners. It's your fault, I'm listeners. I'm putting it on them. Yeah, a brief internet search reveals we we started this show on on april 30th so it has been a year now there you go that's what 52 is it's one year for us exactly hooray it's a celebration 52 weeks of uh of danko and mike (laughs) well speaking of celebrations i went to the new york city parade last weekend uh the cannabis parade on may 1st saturday and it was awesome i mean it was small obviously because of COVID restrictions and all of that, but uh, some 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 heavy duty politicians were there. Uh, yeah, Chuck the, Schumer showed up. Chuck right? Schumer spoke. Yeah, the majority speaker, uh, which got to be the highest ranking official that I've ever seen at a pot rally, uh, government wise. Um, Letitia James, uh, a bunch of people from from you know local New York City politics and, and New York State, but to have Schumer there, that was intense. And uh, you know he's trying to change the law federally. So we will see what happens. Uh, he it is def- it is wild that legalization is in the hands of Chuck Schumer. I just find <laughs> it to be incredible. Like you, it, what a world we live in. Who would have ever guessed that just a few years ago? But there you go. Hopefully, indeed, it works out. Indeed, and the park was you know was was pretty well lit up, and and you know people were definitely celebrating 
the you know the the legalization of the uh, MRTA that passed, and uh, you know I got up there and encouraged people to grow their own, and uh, people talked about social equity, people talked about uh, consumption lounges. Uh, there were representatives of the Shinnecock Nation from Long Island uh, who spoke about uh, growing hemp and cannabis in Long Island, uh, which was really cool to see. And uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it was nice. And that uh, that May Day parade has a pretty long history in New York, right? Oh, of, yeah. Uh, celebrating no, goes, cannabis. Absolutely. It goes back to the 70s. Uh, and actually, uh, Steve D'Angelo was there uh, with Last Prisoner Project, and he had attended like the first one. Uh, Dana Beal was there, uh, who had been putting these things on for all these decades. Um, yeah, so it was very different. You know, this was a parade, whereas in the past, you know, it was like a war zone where people were getting arrested. And, you know, in the Giuliani days, there was three, 400 arrests. If you just lit a joint, you were dragged away and run through the system for two nights, three nights, uh, fingerprinted and booked. You know, that was that was the way back then. Now... The cops are just standing there while people are rolling joints and blunts and, you know, passing and, and, and enjoying cannabis and talking about it. And they're just there, you know, keeping the peace and protecting people. So it was it was a surreal sight. It was definitely a trip, you know, in New York. You know, this is the birthplace of so many cannabis traditions, you know, the sour and the haze and the delivery services and all these things. And so it was a very... Uh, it was interesting. You know, we, we are in for a very interesting future here because our law is one of the best ones I've seen, at least on paper. And we'll see how that all plays out. For sure. We will. Uh, I agree. It is a really good law on paper. And nice to see that parade turn into a celebration as opposed to basically a protest, which it was for the last, uh, you know, 30, 40 years. So excellent. Absolutely. You know, and people still, you know, there's still a ways to go and we still got to keep these politicians feet to the fire and make sure they follow through on what they say. Uh, but yeah, it did have that air about it of, of, of a feeling of victory, which was nice. Very nice indeed. And uh, we wanted to touch on just one other thing while we were here in the intro. We have a we have a very long interview, good cultivation segment coming up. But before we let you get on to that, we should just address the elephant in the room that is cannabumps. <laughs> yes, I saw this... Uh... I saw this over last weekend. These are, this is a cannabis based product mm -hmm. uh, that actually comes in like a little vial and, you know, looks like just a, you know, some type of, uh, I would imagine, you know, water soluble distillate that you snort up your nose like cocaine. And I think, uh, <sighs> I don't know, <laughs> you know, I've got a lot of thoughts about this. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of hot takes uh, yeah. that, you know, you, could have on the subject matter uh and there's other questionable questionable products out there in the world and um you know i'm not the product police but i do think that uh you know it's certainly not a good look for our industry that's for sure and apparently the company that put it out has already faced the backlash mm -hmm. and uh, i think they've shut it down as a product or at least they're they're yeah, going back to the cold yeah, they're going back to the drawing board. But, you know, we've seen this in the past in the Cannabis Cup where people have had like, you know, cannabis lean, you know, like the syrup, mm -hmm. that, the syrup that people uh, take that's like an opiate, but, you know, replacing that with cannabis or Xanax bars, but they're cannabis, you know, instead of Xanax. And look, if this is keeping people from taking, you know, 
harder mm-hmm. drugs, then more power to them. But I, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't yeah, want to. I, I feel like, you know, I think the first take would be to just hate this thing because it looks like, you know, a hard drug. And we have spent our entire, you know, careers trying to separate cannabis from hard drugs and all of that. But on the other hand, the, the honest to God truth is some people just really enjoy um, snorting things, you know, like <laughs> to, to, to snort something is pleasurable to certain people that will remain nameless on this podcast. So um, I feel like we're all adults here and maybe there is a place. I'm going to get killed for this, I'm sure. But maybe there is a place for a product like this on the market. I don't know. I mean, to me, I just look at it as as inevitable, like anything you can think of is eventually going to happen and it'll either succeed or not based on the market. So if, if there's a market for it uh, and people buy it, it'll succeed. And if not, it won't, you know, I just kind of look at, I kind of look at it that way. And, you know, like I said, if it's, if it's keeping people from doing, you know, the alternatives uh, or, or the things that they're kind of, you know, mo- mimicking, then that's a positive thing, right? I right. mean, because you know, you're not gonna OD from this, probably. I guess, right? I mean, it's not gonna. I don't know, no. But right. it, it's just not a good look. You know, it's kind of like no, it is. You know, when the torch thing first came out, it was the same thing. People were like, "What the hell right. is that?" You know, right. are you smoking crack? And then people, you know, eventually either got used to the torches or moved on to you know puffcos and things like that or other ways, uh, emails. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm conflicted. I just, I, I think, like I said, there's, there's gonna be these things, and how we react to them, in a way, uh, shows kind of who we are. You know, my first reaction was to be kind of repulsed by it. Uh, my personal belief is, I, you know, I'm not gonna put it up on my social media because I don't, I don't do that. I don't do like memes. I don't really want to amplify negativity. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't put up, I don't put up negative comments and I don't respond to negative comments. Uh, I, I don't want to give this brand free publicity. Uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you're opposed to it and you see it and then you pop it up on your Instagram, all your Instagram followers who never even heard of this thing are now suddenly aware of it. So you actually you mentioned it on your podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, you're kind of doing their marketing for them. And the only reason I'm, you know, I would even mention it now is because obviously, you know, since then the company has uh, pulled the product from the shelf, you know, even right. if, and if it, it even if it ever even made it to the shelf, which I don't it know. Is that legitimate it legitimate cannabis news. I mean, you know, this is something that's happening in the in the world of pot and that's right. what we talk about right. here. Exactly. So so you know, through the podcast and the magazine, I would talk about it. Through my personal social, I probably wouldn't. You know, that's kind of the the separation there as I try to keep it on the positive side. Um, for my personals. But yeah, I mean, I'm also a journalist. I got to cover this stuff and, you know, this is what's out there. And I'm sure, you know, if you go to MJ BizCon in Vegas, the, the can of bumps are, 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 are flowing freely. <laughs> you Probably know? all sorts of bumps are flowing freely. <laughs> Who but knows? yeah, I, I am of two minds of, uh, on this. And I do think that, you know, the insufflation crowd might have a point and and there's you know not necessarily anything inherently wrong with that, but um, but yeah, what do you, let us know what you guys think. Canna bumps, uh, <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter anymore, but right because you, you can't acquire this product any longer. I, who knows? I mean, I don't know if it ever even made it to shelves, um, but you know what matters is 
you know, how we respond to different things in our industry. And um, it's not a good look, obviously, when you look at it at face value, it's not, you know, no one can take, take a look at it and say, Oh, you know, this is positive. This is going to help. This is going to help us legalize or anything like that. So I'm, I'm not a fan, (laughs) so to speak. Uh, But, you know, there are nuances and there's different ways to look at things and you can't just immediately uh, poo poo something that you don't quite uh, understand or or do the research on. So, so that, that was sort of the big uh, hullabaloo in the cannabis world over the last weekend. Um, But we've got a hullabaloo of a show here. Uh, We've got a really great interview with Frenchie Cannoli. Yes. An amazing man uh, who is a hash maker, a hash, calling him a hash. He's not a hash maker. He's like a hash expert, a hash, uh, you know, artisan artisan. Yes, indeed. He's really a throwback to, to, uh, you know, the artisans of the past who really take their craft very seriously and really like a sushi master or like a, uh, you know, an expert in whatever field that they are in, that is how he is for hashish and a passionate evangelist for making uh, temple balls and making hashish in the traditional way, but, you know, adding new techniques, obviously, and and new uh, science to the thousands and thousands of year old tradition of hash making. So yeah, no, he he is excellent. And this is a great interview. Um, We should just mention, you know, it is Difficult, I think, at times to understand Frenchie. He speaks with a very thick accent. But what was interesting for me um, first hearing the interview was that it was difficult at first. And then as time went on, I suddenly locked onto it and it became um, very clear. So I'd be interested to see if that happens for our audience. And either way, it's an excellent interview and we really hope you enjoy it. Yes. You know, I recommend smoking a big bowl of hash, uh, putting on some headphones and just... uh, you know, just diving into the world of, of Frenchie. So without further ado, uh, why don't we take a break and come back with Frenchie Cannoli. Hey, you guys, I want to tell you guys about a sponsor of ours, Rocket Seeds. Uh, check them out at rocketseeds.com. They have a ton, I mean, over 500 different varieties of cannabis strains available, uh, high quality seeds, great genetics. Uh, they ship worldwide, which is very important, uh, reliable support. And they also ship for a variety of different seed banks. They've got feminized seeds, autoflowering seeds, regular seeds, uh, CBD seeds. A lot of people are looking for that. So check them out at rocketseeds.com or on Instagram, rocket underscore seeds. They are awesome and we are really happy to have them on as a sponsor. So check them out, blast off and get your seeds from rocketseeds.com. All right, welcome back to Grow Bud Yourself, and we have a very special guest for you guys today. We have hash maker extraordinaire, Frenchie Cannoli. Frenchie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good afternoon. Oh, it's my pleasure, uh, for sure. And uh, why don't we go back to the past? Take me back to a young Frenchie uh, in France uh, and explain to me how you became interested in uh, hashish and the culture of uh, cannabis and extraction? Well, I was 
a 17 years old teenager that has been abused by uh, society and family when during my childhood. So it's like I hated to be ordered all my life. When I was a kid, the only things I really, really wanted to do was to travel. Because all my, all the book I read, all my heroes were adventurers. All my childhood was very much India, Persia. When I reached teenagehood, I had forgotten about my dream of traveling. That's all I really, really, really wanted to do when I was a kid, to escape. And then I smoked that spliff of Lebanese at 17 and <laughs> everything became clear. And that's what I wanted to do. And that was it. I waited until I was 18 years old to be able to escape from Europe and, uh, and travel to have that freedom. I, I couldn't. I couldn't not be free. And I, uh, not until I, uh, I came to the States and realized that the plant was a medicine. And I heard the new parents saying that even if you don't know, you're actually using the plant as a medicine that I realized that for, yeah, actually I did to a level that is pretty amazing. So that's how it started. It's like uh, that Lebanese joint brought <laughs> back on my childhood memory and I traveled for 18 years solid. Yeah, so so where did you go and what did you do? I uh, I went I went in producing country because in Europe you were like the scum of the scum of the of the world. They were nothing lower than you. Not only you were hurting yourself, but you were hurting the people the closest to you and your family. Everybody that you knew was, you heard them. That's why he took my best friend six months before he took, he had the courage to uh, offer me a smoke. He was afraid it would break our, uh, our relation. So it's like there were a lot of pressure at 17 years old, people telling you that this is the worst thing you can do to yourself and that's the best thing that happened in your life since you were a, a child. It didn't really compute. To be able to escape that and uh, to keep my freedom, I went to producing country. First, it was Ashish producing country where it's not legal, for sure, but it's part of the culture. But it's part of the culture. You're still a bad boy. You're not the scum anymore. You're just a bad boy. So it's kind of, it was easier, I guess, to, uh, to handle it in uh, being a foreigner in, uh, in ash producing country. And then in India, it became spiritual, where you literally dedicate your smoke to the God. So it's like, even if you don't believe in Shiva, there is a strong, you're aware that what you're doing is something important and has been for millen for five millennium plus in the place where you are actually smoking and making your ash. It brought you to, uh, to another dimension. And when I came to the States, when I, when I, people I, I met everywhere, everyone started to smoke cannabis because they needed it as a medicine. Then I realized that it was a medicine and it it really changed everything deeply. I just wanted to know 
everything I could know about the plant and ash and the science behind and what it is as a medicine truly. Yeah. So, so in these travels, in these hash producing uh, regions, and we're talking about uh, India, you mentioned, uh, but also Nepal, uh, Morocco. Morocco. So you weren't just there smoking and, and, and lounging around. You really wanted to learn the trade and learn uh, how to create hash and charas and those type of things? No, not really. I wanted to be able to, uh, I couldn't afford the quality I wanted. Okay. And the quality I wanted anyway is not for sale in producing country. And you don't see it in Europe. Even if you think you do, you have not. You have not seen the quality until you go in deep into the producing place of a producing country to really see it. So it, like, for me, it was more a, qu- a quest of, of quality. I, w- I went there to make my stash. And I wasn't into uh, the working at the feet of the guru to learn the trade, but I, that's what I actually did. I spent months living with those people, working alongside them with their tool. Uh, eating with them, like living with them for months and months. Right. So now uh, you mentioned that there was a stigma in Europe uh, for smoking, but, you know, being from France and actually there's a, there's a hash tradition that goes back to the 1840s and even beyond. uh, But in the 1840s is when, uh, you know, Napoleon and Napoleon's army was coming back from Egypt Yep. and brought back hash and and those guys came back uh very much uh as hash smokers so there is that tradition there another thing in common uh in France is the idea of terroir and also appellations so that bordeaux wine can only come from the bordeaux region because of uh the terroir so tell me a little bit about uh, that connection, the idea of terroir. It, 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 it's connected not only with wine, it's connected with most food, most agricultural product. Uh, it's connected with chocolate, with coffee, with tea, cigars, with tobacco. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the, the place, the land, the microbial life in a land and the land itself, the climate, the genetic and the know-how of the farmer and the community that support it create a, a level of quality and uniqueness that uh, that cannot be matched, literally. So it's like you can have a guy in southern in Provence, the mecca of lavender, and that one guy is an appellation d'origine Controlled. There is nobody in the planet that can, that makes the same lavender than him. In the middle of field of lavender, everybody's growing lavender for uh, hundreds of miles around. His place is so unique. His osmosis with the land, his relation with the land is so special that his, his product becomes something unique. Right, right. And is there a way to use this type of certification to preserve uh, the traditions of, uh, let's say, the Emerald Triangle uh, or other produ- production producing regions? 
it, one of the main reasons of those appellations is to protect the know-how that creates that quality. It's like the terroir, it's a quest for quality. The terroir, it's, uh, it's what defines quality and it all starts with the soil, with the living organism. And today with the level of pollution we have reached, the, the soil is even more important than it was in, uh, in the 1800 when, uh, when they make up all that, uh, those appellations. It's like now it's, it become a necessity to, uh, to work with small farmers and uh, to, to work with regenerative farming. It's, uh, it become mandatory. And there is a lot of things that we do with chemicals that can be done with regenerative farming. Now we, we have the knowledge of how the soil is important and that it gives life to everything. When your appellations are based on that very principle, it shows how really, really important it, the, the, the principle is and how visionary the people who saw that were. It's pretty amazing. Now we talk about uh, you know curing with with cannabis flowers, uh, but is there does does hashish cure? Or is there an aging process um, with hash? Yeah, that's really my uh, well, my passion for them lately is a study of actually aging because there is a lot of studies that have been made on storage, but assuming that you lose. So everything, all the, all the research, it's based on a negative aspect of it. And they work into, with principles that do not help transform a degradation into a transformation of a product that is of higher quality. So I wanted to do it. And we just scratched the surface with a study of six months monthly, more or less, we, uh, we check the flower, the ash unpressed and the ash pressed. And we only checking the terpene profile and the cannabinoids profile. So we have things happening like the after pressing, there is actually more Terpen, the, the percentage of terpen is higher than before pressing, but like all over the board, except wow. for, uh, for one uh, monoterpen, I think gaiol or something like that, just one. And then over the six months period, there is almost no loss of terpen, very, very, very minimal. There is no degradation of uh, into CBN, the flower at all, the ash a tiny bit, but it's like a, a tenth of a percent or something like that, like very minimal. But there is a THCV appearing after two months from wow. nowhere, like cannabinoids are transforming. There is, there is now I, we know that there is a lot happening. Now that I know that, we're going to do it again. It's, we will do that in Canada with a, a lab and we're going to connect with a, a university 
where are we going to do that over a period of three years? 30 genetic. Everything is going to be indoor, so we have more control than uh, on really like uh, the the result we're uh, we're having and really like uh, scientific where every every test is done three times, so that I know that when I press my ash, I have more terpen. I was expecting not to lose or very very little to gain. I was not expecting that. So is it a fluke or not? If I had, had done three, uh, three tests every sample, I would be pretty damn sure of my, uh, of my result. You know what I mean? Right. But for me, it was really showing that there is a lot that is happening. This is the next stage of the, the ash, uh, the ash evolution. Now we can edge ash like we can edge wine. It's like uh, my experience over uh, the 45 years smoking and smoking HH, it's like didn't mix things up. It's like now I had scientific research showing that, dude, there is a lot happening. We want to know more. We want to be able to control it. Right. So, so what you're saying is not only can it withstand time, but it improves over that time, in which case you could see in the future uh, something like. Uh, with wine where someone would say, oh, this is a 2021, uh, you know, sour diesel from uh, Mendocino County. uh, And it would be like a Bordeaux, you know, like a 61 Chateau Neuf or something, as opposed to, you know, a Beaujolais, which is meant to be consumed within a year or so of production, which is more what we consider sort of flowers and lots of other types of extractions, because I notice, you know, especially here in the States uh, with uh, hydrocarbon extraction, BHO and solventless extraction as well, rosin pressing, that uh, that hash tends to age in a poor way. I mean, it, it tends to degrade over time if it's not stored properly. Uh, do you find that to be the case as well? No, I mean I smoke twelve years old hash. I mean, with with uh, the hash that's here in the in the U.S., um, that's a bit more volatile, I guess. Uh, because they keep it volatile, they don't press. They often microplane that breaks the membrane. So if you if you can if you keep your hash anywhere, when you open your jar, it smells. You're losing. If it smells, you lose terpen. The temple bowl, you don't smell it. You need to break it to be able to smell it. There is no smell that come out of it. And the real royal Nepalese temple bowl, actually, it was that perfect unblemished bowl that, that was rolled in a way with a level of heat that you fuse the outside layer of the bowl and it become hard like a, the shell of an egg, like uh, like cheese, like and the inside can is not touched by anything that happen uh, climatic condition from light and oxygen. What can degrade your ash? It's light, oxygen, and temperature. Right. So you create a crust on the outside that protects the hash that's in the middle. Very I interesting. Do that I wrap it in cellophane paper. Mm-hmm. I put it in a, dark, in a jar, in a glass jar, 
in a dark place. The test was done at 57 Fahrenheit. I personally wanted 55, but I want to do 40, 45, 50, 55 Fahrenheit. Testing uh, temperature. I want that sweet spot. I right. want the spot where I have little degradation, but there is still that transformation happening uh, through times. Perfect. In your in your lost art of the Hashishin series on YouTube, uh, you really go through the process and show uh, the washing process of hash. Now we don't have time to go through all of that right now, but can you? sort of briefly take us through uh, the process. Uh, do, do you prefer to start with uh, flower, uh, trim, leaf? Uh, is it sun-grown? Is it indoor? Uh, I do mostly sun-grown. Sun-grown? I represent with the appellation, and I'm, I'm really uh, I'm blessed to be able to, uh, to work in, in a Bordeaux of cannabis. Right. That's super <laughs> fast. Right. <laughs> But uh, it's it's the, the, you don't want you uh, you don't want dense flower because you have tricon only on the outside. It's so that when it's dense, uh, if you want flower, it has to be loose flower or loose small buds or sugar trim. You don't want fan leaf because there is no uh, tricon form on a on a fine leaf. No, my whole process is understanding that I do not extract. I sieve using ice water, uh, uh, water that is ice cold, basically. Ice is something that is a handicap. It's the only things in that can crush the plant material. When the, because you use water, you rehydrate your plant material. If your plant material is rehydrated and supple, you cannot make contaminant like dry sieve. You need something to crush it to create the small contaminant. My, my vortex of water is not powerful enough to shred the leaf. So <clears throat> the, the ice is really to make the water cold. Like uh, you don't do dry sieve in the summer in the sun. You do dry sieve in the winter in the shade when it's cold and dry. Basically, that's the principle. But then it's like, how do you... How do you know how much resin is formed inside the resin gland? How do you find the melt? Uh, I don't agree with the size of the resin gland because the size of the resin gland is not going to tell you how much resin is formed inside. There is no way that you could see it except if you, uh, when I learned that the gland is attached to the stock by an abscission like a fruit or a leaf to a tree. So when I learned that, <clears throat> instead of shaking a plant in my water and not being able to see what I collect, literally, I could imagine a fruit tree. If a gland is made like a fruit, collecting ripe fruit is can be like collecting ripe resin gland. There is so much that the gland is attached to the stalk. The riper it is, the smaller that part is. So if I go and shake the, the fruit tree a tiny bit, I have my riper's fruit falling down. All the fruits that were attached with that much of an abscission. 
And then if I shake a second time, I have that second level of ripeness. And it doesn't matter the size or the color, it's on the wholeness of the ripeness of the whole plant that I'm, uh, I'm working. And every one of my washes, and I do that until harder and harder and harder, by uh, every five minutes, I shake harder. Uh, every one of those washes is a dimension of ripeness of the, of the plant from the ripest to the, the, the less mature. Right. Now, once you scrape up uh, those gland heads and uh, capture them together, uh, you mentioned, you know, you didn't, you don't do microplaning. So how do you get the moisture out of the hash at that I, point? I, I use, I use a, a freeze dryer. And yeah. And if, if you, if you want to do quality in quantity, you need a, a freeze dryer because it's, it's a ultimate tool to, uh, to dry any agricultural product. You, you preserve 97, 98% of the main compound of what you've been drying. It's, it's, it's huge. You, uh, you dry in, uh, in space. There is no air. There, there is no oxygen. There is no light. Uh, there is nothing that can degrade that, uh, that resin during the drying. And as soon as it dry, it take, it get off the machine. I leave it overnight, usually, and I press straight up so that I preserve everything that I collected. Wow. Okay. Uh, tell me about the Gangier program uh, or Gangier program. It's a certification for, uh, for it, experts in cannabis. It's, it's, uh, it, it, yeah, yeah. In a nutshell. Yeah. But, uh, an expert who is really sommelier level, like, uh, and not sommelier wine. We use the word, but it's like, we study uh, chocolate, tea, uh, cigars, and wine to create that the, that curriculum, that platform. Uh, there is amazing people that have, are part of it, and we all agree that none of us is a sommelier. None of us have that type of palate or even that deep knowledge of every part of it. And, uh, it, it's, it's an amazing curriculum. And me, what I'm, uh, the assessment program, the assessment tool is, is what I'm the proudest, I think. With that type of tool, tech, in, technically speaking, anyone would be able to judge and grade a product and stay in the forks of different that is super, super, super small. So I think it's a, it's a ultimate uh, tool for, uh, for cannabis cup. Mm, yeah. You judge a cannabis cup with that? Yeah. <laughs> nice. As far as consumption, uh, you know, what do, what do you prefer? A hookah, a chillum, uh, a cigarette? Uh, cigarette, I quit. Yeah. Okay, good, good. <laughs> with COVID, it's like I have COPD. Even if I didn't feel it at all, uh, I was smoking cigarettes like uh, lower down and I had to quit. Uh, so chill them still because I, uh, I do it with flour. Mm -hmm. The hookah with, uh, 
quasar uh, shisha bowl that is amazing. And you know why it's so amazing? I finally figured it out. You know, every terpen have a different boiling point. Mm-hmm. And when you put your mix into the bowl, you start cold. You put the, the coal in a chamber on top and you pull hot air in the quartz chamber where your flour or your ash or your extract is. And the boiling point of cannabinoid is way higher than all the terpen or 19 something percent of them. So that every time you pull that you actually can test all the different level of terpen before the, the ash start to really bubble into your, uh, your quartz ball and, uh, and being vaporized, literally. If your ash is really high quality, <coughs> there is nothing left in, uh, in your ball at, at the end of the day. Right? Just melt away. It's pretty trivial. Amazing. Okay. Perfect. Well, uh, we could talk for hours. I really could just pick your brain forever here, but uh, uh, we but uh, we gotta go. So uh, why don't you let people know uh, where they can find out more information, uh, websites and social media and such? On my website, uh, frenchicanoli.com, you have the Tricon uh, Research Institute page with all the aging part. In, uh, in uh, the article section, in the weed world, in the article page, weed world section, the last six articles are the workshop, the written version of the workshop, but more detailed and easier to understand for an English native. <laughs> and the three first are the science behind the tech. That means that those three articles tell you why I do Everything I do. Otherwise, my uh, my Instagram, Frenchy Can uh, the IGA, where I uh, I do a lot of uh, teaching, showing off, connecting, trying to be a platform for uh, for a young uh, ash maker doing uh, ash porn contest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you. Um, not only can you can you see uh, DIY hash making videos on that website Frenchy Cannoli, uh, but there's a dispensary locator and you can find hash made by Frenchy. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Too. Incredible, incredible. Well, thank you so much. Uh, your passion for hashish and its healing properties, its its uh, amazingness, and and uh, just how special this plant and uh, the essential oils of the plant are is palpable and it excites me i can't wait to go and smoke smoke a big bowl of hash (laughs) right after this interview so uh thank you very much frenchy uh for being on the show uh it's been an honor and a pleasure so thank you and we will be back with more grow bud yourself after these messages Hey guys, I want to tell you about Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients. They have an incredible line of organic fertilizers, 
uh, brand new legacy line as well, which is organic and some synthetics. A lot of really incredible tools for the modern gardener. So check them out at sweetleaf.com, S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F. The code Danko15 gets you 15% off of everything that you can get at Sweetleaf, which also includes uh, complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits, uh, a bunch of different apparel and merch, and their signature line of amazing nutrients. If you join our Patreon, uh, you can get even more codes for 20 or even 25% off of Sweetleaf Newts and other products. I want to thank them for being a sponsor, and as always, tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. All right, welcome back, and thank you to Frenchie for an amazing interview. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, we are now in the cultivation segment, which is brought to you by Diamond Cutco Trimming Scissors. These are connoisseur scissors. They're made for growers by growers with conscious ergonomic designs, and you can use the code DANKO20 for 20% off at diamondcutco.com. Tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. Yeah, do that. Uh, We appreciate the sponsorship, Diamond Cut. And as Dan mentioned, we are now in the cultivation segment. And each week, our listeners know that Dan likes to give a grow tip that will help you become a better cultivator. So what would you like to discuss this week? This week, I want to discuss what you're going to get out of one plant. This is a question I get all the time. Uh, You know, what's the realistic expectation of dry flower weight that I'm going to get? from one plant. And then, you know, people are constantly trying to, you know, decide how much, you know, whether they want to get that grow tent, uh, whether they want to, you know, put some plants outside, what they want to know what they're going to, what they're going to get. Um, the issue is that there's a lot of factors, obviously, that are going to determine how much dry flower you're ultimately going to harvest from one plant. Um, so it is difficult to predict without, uh, you know, determining some of the components, but I will take a stab at it. So, Um, obviously indoor and outdoor yields are going to vary. Um, but I'm going to give you a few scenarios and hopefully, uh, get this figured out for you guys. Um, basically indoors under thousand watt HPS lighting, uh, with an average of about a four week veg time, uh, and with your plant in a five gallon bucket, uh, you should yield approximately now this is, you know, approximate for sure, but you should get about a quarter pound of dry flowers per plant. So you're going to grow about a pound of wet flowers and it's going to dry to about a quarter pound because uh, you lose about 75% of the weight when you dry your plants. Um, so that's about 112 grams. And that's an average. I mean, some people are going to get a half a pound out of that plant. Some people might get three ounces. Uh, but if you want to get an idea um, with that four-week veg time, five-gallon bucket, uh, you're going to probably get about about four ounces or so per plant. Um, Outdoors, uh, the sky's the limit. And, uh, you know, literally, obviously, um, because if you start a seedling indoors during the winter and veg it uh, out during the winter uh, before it's even ready to go outside into full sun, and then you put it out in the spring, you could get multiple pounds of dry bud. I've seen 10 pounds come off uh, of a single plant, but that plant is huge, you know, double overhead. And, uh, like I said, it's been growing from, from the winter indoors and then put out at two, three, four feet, 
uh, in the spring so that it vegs for another you know, three or four months before it even starts flowering. And that's how you get those, those big, you know, 14 pound monsters. Um, but they have to be properly watered and fed uh, with lots of space for those roots and stuff. It's, it's, it's pretty difficult to get those type of yields, but uh, it's a lot easier to get, you know, half a pound or a pound or so per plant outdoors just by uh, following those type of practices, putting a plant out in the spring, um, making sure it's in full sun, making sure it's well watered and has, uh, you know, room for those roots. Uh, it's properly fed with nutrients and you can get a ton of, uh, not a ton, <laughs> I shouldn't say that because uh, you're not going to get a ton, but you can get a pound or more uh, from an outdoor plant, uh, depending on also, you know, trellising techniques uh, and different ways to increase yield during the vegging cycle, um, tr you know, uh, topping and pruning and things like that. Um, I just want to couch this by saying that one thing I do advise people is not to try to predict the results before you're done. Uh, it's that old adage uh, when you're counting your chickens before they hatch. Um, I just, I've seen too many people spend money they don't have uh, because they're already convinced that their future harvest is going to provide them uh, with what they need. Uh, and then when that doesn't live up to the expectations, they get disappointed and bummed. Um, so instead, you really want to just work hard, make improvements with each grow cycle. Yields and quality will improve. Uh, but as far as trying to predict what you're going to get, uh, you know, if you guess high and it ends up lower, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, I guess if you guess lower and it ends up higher, then that's a good thing. But ultimately, uh, just, you know, knuckle down, put your head down and uh, grow the plants. And the yield uh, is far less important, really, than the quality and also, you know, what it brings to you. So that's my answer as far as what you can get out of a single plant. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy and keep on growing. All right. There you go. Don't worry about that yield. Worry about the quality, says Danko. Uh, excellent grow tip. And now uh, let's take some questions from our listeners. And if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, uh, get in touch with us. You could email us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, what do you say we hop right in? Let's do it. Okay, let's start out with Southern Motorway Grower, who writes... Uh, uh, thanks again for the great podcast and keeping me up to date on the latest cannabis developments over the pond. I have heard some seed banks cross auto flowers to photoperiod strains to make, quote, fast strains that flower quicker. Is this true, or will the seeds produce very unstable plants? I have managed to select a female I like the look of and have cloned her out of uh, this year's outdoor season. I uh, would love to hear your opinion. So he has um, a candidate in mind for this. What would you say to Southern Motorway Grower? Huh. Well, um, I would say, you know, this is a tough timing thing to pull off as far as, you know, crossing a feminized plant uh, with a regular male uh, photo period plant. Uh, but if you can pull it off and you're wise about choosing from the uh, resulting progeny, uh, you know, so basically you're growing out that population of seeds that come out of your uh, feminized plant, uh, your autoflower plant, and now you're going to grow those out. Some of those are going to be autos and some of those are going to be uh, regular. So you're going to have to do the selection to figure out which ones you want for the next year's outdoor season. And it's, you know, it's kind of tough to figure that out 
without growing them out. I mean, you have to grow the, you have to plant the seeds and grow them out. And then you have to kind of determine by which ones basically just start flowering automatically, which ones are the autos and which ones aren't and pick and choose accordingly. So it's a bit of a tricky process. And I don't know if you, you know, if you're really determined to do it, go ahead. Uh, But it does seem like a lot of work. And for me, breeding, you know, my, if I was breeding for personal uh, preference and use, uh, I would just breed with regular photo period plants and not really mess around with feminized and autos because to me, um, those are the result of someone else's breeding uh, for the purpose of what they are. Uh, and so using those in a breeding project kind of muddies the water. Uh, whereas if you're using regular photo period plants, uh, that's where you're going to really uh, end up finding something unique and different and a new phenotype uh, that might be the one for you. All right. Very good. Uh, thank you, SMG. Let's move on to L.E. Grower, who writes, uh, Hey, Danny and Mike, I got to say the GBY podcast gets me through my work day. I missed you guys last week. Uh, my question is about drying. I don't have the environment for a real slow and low dry. So would you recommend a tent dedicated to just drying or should I invest in a dry box from BC Northern Lights for a better chance of drying and curing my buds right? Uh, thank you very much. So uh, what would you say to LE Grower? Yes, uh, I would say if, you, if you're if you in an environment that you can't do the slow and low dry, it sounds like uh, it's too dry. Uh, so you're going to need some type of humidity to slow that process down. Now you could do that in a tent or in a dry box if you want. Uh, the dry box would probably be easier to control. And, uh, you know, it's got... Uh, added uh, benefits and options that you're not going to get from a tent for the most part. Uh, if you do the BC Northern Lights one, it's, you know, it's a touch screen. It's got all kinds of uh, uh, bells and whistles that'll help you out uh, with drying, but it's also not very large. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's made of metal and, you know, that's something to consider. Now with a tent dedicated to just drying, Um, You know, you pick out the size of the tent, that's great, but you're going to need some type of humidifier either in the tent or in the room that the tent is in, in order to slow the process down. Uh, So either way, like I said, you're going to need some type of humidity. Uh, I suggest the tent just because of the affordability level of it, Uh, but uh, the dry box works great as well. Um, So I would say, depending on your budget, you know, just... Keep in mind that whether you get the tent or the box, you're going to need some form of humidity to slow that process down. And I would recommend uh, air conditioning as well, just to keep the temperatures uh, way you know below 70 degrees while you're drying. And never dry in light. So don't dry in a tent with a light. Make sure the light is out. All right. There you go. Hope that helps you out. Uh, let's move on to Hunter who writes, hey guys, I've been recently listening to the podcast at work and I want to say thank you. I recently was hired at a CBD farm, so I've been trying to learn as much as possible to further my skills. The podcast helps a lot, so thank you. Um, I have a question regarding light. Is a 600 watt HPS light enough light for a 4x4x7 four by four by foot grow box? If so, do you have any recommendations of brands that are good for the budget grower? Uh, what would you say to Hunter? Huh. Well, 
yes, a 600 watt light is enough uh, for a four by four by seven foot uh, box or tent. Uh, you could use a thousand in that space as well, but it's going to be pretty hot. Uh, uh, and it's a lot of light to deal with. Um, so, you know, typically that's kind of, I would say I would go to a thousand if it was a five by five, uh, but a four by four is great for a 600 watt light. Um, as far as brands, I mean, uh, Gavita Phillips, those are both, uh, decent brands, um, that are, you know, affordable, uh, Illuminar, you know, there's, there's, there's some good ones. Uh, but yeah, 600 is, is enough light, but remember, you're going to get a lot of heat off of that one as well. Um, just make sure you're ventilating, uh, and pulling the heat off, uh, in order to keep it from getting too warm inside your tent or box. All right. Very good. Uh, thank you, Hunter. Let's hop over to Patreon and take a question from Jacob. And Jacob writes, Hey, uh, Danny, I was caring for my plants last night. And I noticed some white fuzz growing on the soil along with some green-like substance growing around my automatic watering system. I'm wondering if you know what this is. The automatic watering tube also has some green buildup inside it. I put a teaspoon of Fox Farm Big Bloom fertilizer in my reservoir for my automatic watering system. So it's been mixed in the water for about two weeks now. And I've noticed some precipitate floating around in the water jug. What should I do, if anything, to fix this? And should I act immediately to fix this? I'm a bit confused because the white fuzz is on the soil and not touching the plant. So that's interesting. Uh, What would you say there to Jacob? Yeah, I mean, uh, it sounds like the white fuzz growing on the soil is a fungus. uh, And that could or could not be a problem depending on what kind of fungus that is. The green-like substance growing around your automatic watering system sounds like algae. So what happens is, uh, when light and water meet, you get algae. And uh, the only way to stop that is to keep the light from getting to that moist area. So if you can uh, cover, like, you know, this happens with uh, rock wool and other grow mediums as well, is that when they stay wet and the light uh, reaches them, they get this green green fuzz or, or green growth on top of them. And it's not super duper harmful. It's just annoying. And also the algae competes, uh, with your plants, uh, for nutrients and things. So, uh, and, and ultimately it's not good. You know, it can, it can get to your plants and it's, it's unclean. So, uh, the best thing to do is to just cover the wet surfaces, uh, with some type of, uh, cap or foil or something that will keep the light out. Uh, something that, is opaque that will not allow light through. And then that way, if the light doesn't reach that, that'll kill off the algae um, because it can't, it won't, can't live without light uh, and moisture, but the moisture is fine without the light. Um, As far as the white fuzz growing in the soil, same thing. It sounds like the soil is moist and uh, you have some mycelial activity or some type of a, a fungal activity going on. Uh, Like I said, in some cases that could be good because people that grow in living soils and things, they, they want to have that there. They're happy when little mushrooms pop up, uh, in their, uh, mediums and things, but, uh, it's not necessarily always good either because it could also be, uh, some type of bad fungus, uh, that could really be harmful to your plant. So, uh, I would say cover the top of your growth surface, uh, your soil and, uh, 
cover the top of your automatic watering system so the light is not reaching it. Um, as far as the uh, precipitate floating around in the water jug, I think, uh, you know, I, I just think you need to mix it up more properly. Uh, it's Fox Farm Big Bloom Fertilizer. It should uh, liquefy right into your reservoir. Uh, so if there is precipitate, something is going on there. It might be algae building up. Uh, so in which case, if you do cover it, the algae will go away and you should be fine. I would dump out your, uh, reservoir and start fresh with, with fresh, uh, water, add nutrient. And, uh, hopefully now that you've covered your reservoir or your watering system, you won't have that problem. All right. We hope that helps you out, Jacob. Uh, thank you for writing in, and thanks to everybody who wrote in this week. If you have a question that you would like answered on the show, do get in touch with us. Again, that email address is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, what do you say we take a little break, come back, and then wrap this up? Do it. All right, welcome back, and it is time for the wrap. We are so happy with this episode. Episode number 52 marks a full year of Grow Bud Yourselves and yourselves. Is that the plural, I guess? (laughs) Grow Bud Yourselves. There's a second show that you guys don't know about. (laughs) No, the the, the bulk of the shows together are Grow Bud Yourselves. Oh, there you go. The plural (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a wonderful year, uh, you know, for the show, a tough year uh, for us uh, as a culture and as a people and as a society, but a great year for the show. And I hope you've been uh, paying attention and growing and making hash and um, finding ways because soon we will be out of uh, the funk that we're in and back into the world. And uh, it'll be nice to see what people have accomplished during that time. So I want to thank uh, Excelsior Extracts. Uh, We send all our our love and healing thoughts to Elaine, who's going through some tough times right now. Um, Sweet Leaf Nutrients. The code is Danko15 for 15% off. If you join our Patreon page, you get even more free nutrients and higher percentages off. Uh, Diamond Cut Co., The trimming scissors are incredible. Thank you for sponsoring our cultivation segment. And thank you for saving my hands and my fingers uh, from carpal tunnel. Rocket seeds, you guys rock. Uh, Thank you for the sponsorship. And uh, thank you for supporting the show. We love you. And vapor.com, if you use the code uh, GBY at checkout, you get 15% off everything that they have, which includes an amazing assortment of stuff, including the Volcano Vaporizer, the Puffco Peak, uh, you know, every Puffco Peak Pro, uh, every vaporizer you can think of, all the higher standard stuff, uh, Keith Herring glass uh, rigs, and a lot of really cool, amazing uh, accessories and products. So check them out as well. Remember that code GBY for 15% off. Um, Thank you to Frenchie Cannoli, uh, wonderful interview Thank you for your passion for hashish and for spreading the word. Uh, you're awesome. Uh, wee wee. Ooh la la. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to you, Mike. Thanks for you guys, uh, listeners and uh, Patreon supporters in particular. Uh, you guys are about to be very happy because we're rolling out uh, a bunch of cool stuff 
uh, over the next month or two for our Patreon supporters. So join us there at patreon.com slash Danny Danko. And uh, as always, check out growbudyourself.com. Ask questions, keep growing, keep it green. And uh, we'll be back next week with more Grow Bud Yourself. Oui, oui.